Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. Joining me today is award-winning Colorado poet, Rosemary Watola Tromer. Rosemary co-hosts Emerging Form, a podcast on creative process. Her most recent collection, All the Honey, comes out April 18th and is available for pre-order now. Her daily audio series, The Poetic Path, can be found on the Ritual app. Her daily poetry practice can be read on her blog, A Hundred Falling Veils. And her new book of poetry prompts, Exploring Poetry of Presence 2, Prompts to Deepen Your Writing Practice, will be available the first week of May 2023. Welcome, Rosemary. Thank you, Esther. So before we talk about your new book, All the Honey, I would love to learn a bit more about your history as a poet. When did you first start writing poetry and how did you discover your love of poetry? Mm, well, a long time ago. Uh, you know, it was, it was really fourth grade. And we had been given an assignment to write poems about colors. And I loved it so much. And I wrote about pink. <laughs> it was a terrible poem. It was absolutely awful. <laughs> and I had so much fun. And that that is what has really, I think, fueled me ever since, is this delight, this sense of play, this joy in writing poems whether they're false, like about the color pink, or whether they're they're deeply serious about heartbreak or about you know betrayal or grief. So it's still to this day that sense of sweet, oh, I love this, you know. And did you did you kind of know right away that you wanted to do this as a more serious life intention? I mean, maybe not in fourth grade, but you know, well, <laughs> when did you know that? The fourth grade girl did know this. I knew, I'd read somewhere that there were only three poets in America who had ever made their living as poets. I don't know where I read that and who knows if it were true or not, but I said out loud, I'm going to be the fourth. Like I just had this sense of that's what I want to do, which I very quickly forgot. You know, I think that I have that memory. It's very strong, but I also... I'm very practical and <laughs> I think that I wanted to be a doctor and I was, you know, very into math and science. That was where my passions were at the time and my talents. And I really went that direction pretty hard until I was in college and realized how unhappy I was and called my dad and said, dad, I'm, I'm not going to be a bio major. I'm going to be an English major. And <laughs> And set that course in motion. <laughs> was was your family supportive of that decision? A thousand percent. Oh, good. They really were. I think that it was not easy for them to hear. And this says so much about my dad in particular, that he turned around and said, okay. You know, I think he had been excited about me being a doctor. I think that had been his dream for me. And he turned around and supported what I wanted to do, even though I think it was hard on him. Do you have other creative people in your family? I would say they are all creative in their own ways, not necessarily in, you know, traditional, no one is an artist, no one else is a writer. But my mother always saying to me, and, you know, she's 
the kind of person who could make an art project out of anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, oh, let's get some glue and some glitter. <laughs> so, yes, I'd say they're all very creative, but not in what we would necessarily think of as creative careers. So there wasn't really a path that was laid out for you by somebody in your life? In my family. Not in I your family. Creative role model. However, Esther, I have been so lucky as an adult to have the most astonishingly incredible creative role models. I think of Art Good Times here on the Western Slope, who was one of the first people I met back in 1994 when I moved to Telluride. I think of Jude Jordan Kalouche, who was the founder of the Sparrows Poetry Conference, who just kind of awed me with her willingness to be completely out there in her performance and in her devotion to poetry. Jim Tipton, who's no longer with us, but he showed me how to be a true lover in poems. Oh my goodness, I think of Ellen Bass, who I've never met. Well, I have I have met her. I got to interview her one time. <laughs> but she's someone who I looked at and I was like, wow, look what she's doing. She's really she makes poetry come alive in her own way and, you know, and brings it to the world in this fresh, non-academic format. And I was thrilled, like, that's possible? So my my whole adult life, I feel like I've had astonishingly great role models about this is what's possible, creating poetry community. This is what's possible, you know, exploring your own voice and exploring how to relate it to the world around us or our relationship to the divine, or this is what it's like to put yourself out there in the world as a, as someone who loves and let poetry be a voice of love, or this is what it's like to put it out there and, and stand out there on your own without a university behind you and just say, here, here I am. This is what I have to offer. So I, I've been crazy lucky with role models. They just didn't happen to be in my family that way. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your daily poetry practice and how that really just is part of your life. You know, I tend to write at the end of the day, almost always, but not always, but usually I wait. Historically and habitually, it's helpful for me to write at night. And I've realized that one of the best gifts of that has been that it's allowed me to take moments that are astonishingly forgettable in any course of a day, but that were somehow lovely or beautiful, or I was content. And to bring them back and to be very curious about them as, as the building blocks of what makes a life, not just the extraordinary moments, right? But the most mundane, here I am sitting, eating eggs on pumpernickel toast with my friend on a Sunday morning. And we're just laughing and the sun is shining and there's nothing special about it except that it's everything, that those are the moments that make up an entire life, those moments. You know, we don't have peak moments very often, right? We, if you did, they wouldn't be peak, right? So what are these kind of everyday quotidian pulses? And to honor those and to find what's so remarkable about that that's such a thrill, right? I love that that is something that I give to myself every day is this willingness to sit down and notice what's here, what's here inside, what happens outside, what is it like to be in a body? What is it like to have a heart? What is it like to feel? What is it like to be alive? 
And just to be so curious about that again and again and again and again, thank goodness. And I'll say too, Esther, that the fact that I've done it every day for so many years, right? It, now it's, I don't know, it started in 2006. So that's quite a while ago, right? February, 2006. And that practice then of showing up and saying, what's here, what's true? What do I feel? What do I see? What do I notice? When the stakes have been low, right? Most days, the stakes are pretty low. But when the stakes got really high, when I was met with really the most difficult times in my life, I was able to show up and meet them, I think, in part, and not shut down, right? I was able to show up and meet them in part because I've had this daily practice of showing up and seeing what's here, what's here, what's here now, and being open and wanting to be open to it. That's beautiful. I would love to talk a bit about your new book. And I got a chance to read just a portion of it. I'm excited to read more of it when I can hold it physically in my hands. But I loved what you said in the intro about the title and just that discussion of the title. And I wondered if you could just share a little bit about the title and perhaps how it informed the creation of the collection, because I think it's quite related to what we're talking about, about being present. And yeah, I'll let you talk about it. Thank you. Well, the book actually came to a being because uh, the publisher, Samara Press, Elizabeth Dilley and Stephen Nightingale, contacted me and said, we'd love to do your next book. And we were talking about it and what that might be. This was last February. And I had suggested, you know, that it could be, I wasn't quite ready to do a book about grief. At that point, my son had died, oh, you know, less than a half a year. And I knew I didn't have the perspective to write that book. And I thought, well, we could do, I have this collection that I've already been putting together, you know, that would be about falling in love with the world. And I had several other ideas and, and they said, well, could you do it all? Could you put poems in that had that spectrum of grief and falling in love with the world and everything in between? And I said, no, I don't think so. But I'll let you know. I said, I'll think about it. And so I walked away from the conversation. And a couple of weeks later, I was lying in my room and I had a vision. Maybe someday I won't need to do a disclaimer and say that this isn't normal for me. But, I, <laughs> but still, right now, I feel like I need to say that, you know, I'm, I don't normally have visions, but neither am I going to pretend that this didn't happen. So it was clear that my son... And my father, who died just after my son, carved into my bedroom wall in all caps, we love you. And beneath it, all the honey. I was so astonished. And I knew in that moment they had given me the title for the book. And I had no idea what it meant. I just knew that's what it was. And all day that day, I was out skiing with my husband. We were, you know, Nordic skiing in the trees. And I was wondering, what is this? What is this? What is this? And arrived at this, that all the honey that has ever been made came from the sweetness of the nectar and the bitterness of pollen that feeds the bees. And I thought, of course, of course, it's all of it. It's all of it. It is that full spectrum. And I went home and I, I immediately wrote to Elizabeth and Stephen and said, you were so right. Of course, that's what we need to do. And it, it almost felt ridiculous that I thought it wouldn't be that. 
that really is what we're asked to do as human beings all the time is to meet this full spectrum of emotion. And it isn't just like we meet grief and it isn't just like we meet joy. It's all of it and often all at once. So I'm really grateful for that, that suggestion of theirs and that push. And I have to tell you, Esther, that this is maybe what I love the most about this book is that it is infused with so much love meeting all of it. Does it feel like this book, I mean, I, I can't imagine that this book would not feel distinctly different from all of your other collections because of the timing of it and coming after such grief, but did the process of writing it feel quite different because of that or because of this kind of new acceptance of us containing everything all at once? Well, first of all, I should say this, that the poems were pretty much already all written. It was mostly a matter of pulling them together, which poems would be in the book. You know, at this point, it had been two years since Hush came out, and Hush was really only poems about human ecology. So it had been four years, I think, since Naked for Tea came out. So I had literally 1,500 poems to choose from, right? Yeah. That's what you get when you write a poem a day. <laughs> what was going to go in this collection? It was huge. It was a huge... Uh, so I didn't write any poems specifically for this collection. It's more of a matter of culling, yeah. really. You know, take, taking away over a thousand poems to know which are the 70, 80 poems that are going to go into the book. Yeah. Which is awesome too, right? Like, I feel like I can put my best 10% into this book. What a, what a gift they've given me. And so as I'm pulling the poems together, you're right. I was just aware I had the chance to pull together what was maybe what I considered some of the very best poems. It's a very mysterious process pulling together poems for a collection. It's so intuitive and just kind of a gut thing. Mm -hmm. I spread them all over the floor. I look at them. You know, I, have, I pick at least double of what I, I need and know that I'll call at least half of those and just see what starts to emerge. You're right, though. This collection feels very different than anything I've ever done before because of the timing, especially. And, you know, I, I always think, wouldn't it be so sad for me to think, oh, you know, I was really writing my best poems five years ago. <laughs> like, I really do think <laughs> poets are lucky. You know, hopefully our poems get better. We improve as we go. And uh, so I would like to think that it's the best I could do now. So if folks want to pre-order your book so that they can get it on April 18th, where would they be able to do that? Anywhere you buy a book. So you could order it from your local bookstore. You can get it from bookshop.org or from amazon.com. Or if you want it signed and you're willing to wait, you can wait until I'm there in Loveland. <laughs> or if you're not able to come to the program in Loveland, then you can order it from the Telluride bookstore. And that's at between the covers, between hyphen the hyphen covers.com. And they won't be taking orders until May 1st. They're taking all of April off. So if you want to sign and you can't come to Loveland, then you can order it from that bookstore and I'll be going in and signing books from there. So the Loveland reading is kind of a two-part series. The first is Friday, May 12th at 7 p.m. at the Rialto. And that is a reading and you'll be reading from your new book, All the Honey, correct? Yes. And if anyone hasn't been to a reading with me before, it will be much more than a reading. You know, it's 
storytelling and singing and performance. But also, I would say that these some of the poems in this collection also lend themselves to extreme stillness. So, oh, that sounds so interesting to see how I won't really know yet. be one of the first readings I do. I'm actually very excited to to see what it's like to read from this book. Yeah. Have you read from the book yet? Only on, you know, podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But not with a live audience, no. Exciting. Exciting. And the second part of your time here in Loveland is a workshop on Saturday, the following day, May 13th at 9.30 a.m. What could people expect from a workshop with you? This one in particular is going to be around mindfulness and we'll be using poems from a book called Poetry of Presence, Anthology of Mindfulness Poems. And that's put together by Ruby R. Wilson and Phyllis Coldeye. And I recently wrote a companion to that book. Both of these books come out the first week of May. I wrote a companion to that book, which is all prompts for this collection It's almost all contemporary American poets writing specifically about being mindful in moments when it isn't particularly easy to be mindful. So we'll be writing a lot. We'll be talking a lot. My workshops are very process oriented and we'll talk lots about process and what's happening. So some about craft, but really mostly about how do we do what we do? How do we allow writing to be not just a product that we're creating, but an actual practice toward improving our quality of life by meeting the moment. And if somebody is interested about this and has never written a poem in their life, would they still be that makes them the perfect person to show up? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I think I'm a really good gateway drug for poetry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the stakes are low, the the safety is high, and and everyone welcome. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. You can buy tickets for both of those events through the Love and Poet Laureate Facebook page, and I'll put a link for that in the show notes of this episode. So now we've come to the time, Rosemary, where we would love to hear a few poems, if you would share. I would love to. So this first poem is called, I Want to Listen to your absence. I want to listen to your absence, the way I listen to the night, the way the dark somehow invites a deeper listening. I want to hear, for instance, the way silence fills in where your voice has been, or the way the room seems to know itself by the sound of missing footsteps. And in this way, I find you, where I cannot find you. I am thinking of how the night opens up between the calls of the owl and how I listen that interval, not only with my ears, but with my skin. I want to listen for you with my lungs, as if every breath is attentive to the syllables of grief, of love. I want my heart to angle in to hear what the silence has to say. I don't want to hear what I most want to hear. I want to hear what is really here. I want to listen and learn from the listening. 
I want to listen into your absence and lean into it the way I lean into the night. Something so much larger than me. Something familiar and always new. Something so present, yet unable to be touched. I want to hear what is true. You know, I think about that poem, how it embraces this paradox that I'm now so fluent in, which is the presence of absence. And how oh, poems love that, don't they? They just love paradox. And I suppose this next poem is for, how we're going to do a dedication. <laughs> it's to all the people who've ever felt alone. And it's called belonging. And if it's true, we are alone. We are alone together. The way blades of grass are alone, but exist as a field. Sometimes I feel it. The green fuse that ignites us. The wild thrum that unites us. An inner hum that reminds us of our shared humanity. Just as 35 trillion red blood cells join in one body to become one blood, just as 136,000 notes make up one symphony, alone as we are, our small voices weave into the one big conversation. Our actions are essential to the one infinite story of what it is to be alive. When we feel alone, we belong to the grand communion of those who sometimes feel alone. We are the dust, the dust that hopes, a rising of dust, a thrill of dust, the dust that dances in the light with all other dust, the dust that makes the world. Oh, thank you so much. Those are beautiful and such very illustrative of our whole conversation of being in the body and carrying joy and love and aloneness. And it was lovely. Thank you so much. <laughs> Is there anywhere that you would like me to direct people to other Rosemary Media? <laughs> well, I am super excited right now about this new daily project I have, which is sharing a poem every day on a phone app called Ritual. And you can get it on your phone and I can send you the link for it. And it's called The Poetic Path. And every day I share a poem that I've written and I talk a little bit about where it came from. And then I read it again because poems always sound different than we hear when we hear them the second time. And then I offer ideas for launching into your own thoughts or writing or conversations. The whole program takes about seven minutes a day. And I'm so excited about it because poems, as much as I love poems on a page, poems really do love being in the air and in the ear. And what I do like about it is that it's, I'm able to choose whatever poem I have from the ridiculously large collection of poems that I have. And in that way, you know, share poems that I care about deeply and that I feel like, oh, these are poems I really would like to be sharing with the world in this way. It feels very generous just to be frank about the process and to be talking about your work and your practice as one that is shareable and achievable and inspirational and 
a lot of times people find poetry very, very intimidating. And this sounds like a real grace to make it less so and make it more accessible. Mm, Oh, friend, I believe so completely that reading poems, listening to poems, writing poems has the power to change everything about the way we meet the world. I know how true it is for me, right? So it's, it's thrilling, really, to offer that invitation to other people to join in this big conversation of poets. So beautifully said, and what a lovely way to end our conversation. So thank you so, so much, Rosemary, for joining the podcast. And thank you to everyone for listening. Just a reminder that you can hear Rosemary read and sing and perform her work on Friday, May 12th at 7 p.m. at the Rialto, and that she has a workshop the following day, May 13th at 9.30 a.m. Thank you so much. Thank you, Esther. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot T-A-T-E at cityofloveland.org. See you next time.